0: We continue in our series on relationships, and we've been building a foundation. We've been looking at where the problems exist and why they're there. And this series is obviously for singles and single agains and newly married and those been married and wanting to get married. Today, we're going to address how to build on this foundation. And so in some ways, this message is applicable to everybody again. It's those looking and those preparing and those looking for someone to marry, and then those that have been married for a very long time. I will also address a big portion of this message to talk to men, single men and, and married men, and, married, and men that are seeking marriage. And so we'll find that that'll be an overriding idea throughout the message, trying to target those areas. So, but in order for us to become and, and prepare to commit... To the person that we're looking for is looking for, we have to build on a foundation. First, we, we witnessed a couple weeks ago and last week, that's important that, that we have love in the relationship. And now how do you play that out? What does that look like? How do we put practical steps to becoming the person that we need to be for the person that's, that is preparing themselves to be married to? Let's begin with the promise that's made often at marriages. And I want you to just, just think through this for a second. When you stood before, those of you who are married, when you stood before a pastor and you were there and they had a wedding ceremony and he said these words, and you remember, you promised, you I willed and you I doed, and we've already said it's more than that. And we're going to talk about the more than that today. But think back when you heard these words, that you would take this person, this wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. The question I have today is, how are you doing with that vow that you made? Is it more than just words? Or are there days and seasons where you've, you've needed an unusual dose of God's grace? Are there moments where you're, maybe you're at right now and you're recognizing the better part, I've done a good job in, the worst part I haven't? The health part, I've done a really good job. The sickness part, I haven't. And I've been handed this emotional breakdown with this person that I wasn't prepared for. The point is this, wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself today in that commitment, we can build on it. We can work at it with the grace of God and the love of God that's been demonstrated through us through Jesus Christ. And we can literally be good to our word that we made some of you one year ago, two years ago, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And we must not make divorce an option. And so when I look at that in scripture, how do you do that? What are the ways that with God's help that we can build upon this commitment that we've made? I want you to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But we're going to read Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. And when you find that, I just ask you to stand. We're going to read this together. This is a conversation that Jesus had, had just finished talking. And then all these large crowds were following him. And some Pharisees came to test him and they asked this question about divorce. And so he responded with these words. This was Jesus' response to them. Read this with me, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6. Ready, read. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You may have a seat. You can read on that passage, and Jesus throws out the exception there of sexual immorality. But the point is this, Jesus is saying to us and saying to you and to saying to me and to saying to those of us that are married and considering married, that we must work at this marriage in such a way that we don't let something else come between the husband and wife, that we don't let something divide and separate, that we don't let something break down this commitment and this covenant called marriage. And so he reiterates that by saying, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate until you die. But the way this happens today is this gets thrown out the window often. We try to find an option to get out instead of an option to work at. And when we work at, and we bring God into this option saying, we're going to make this work, he is good on his word. God can do things that no man can ever do. Scripture tells us in Luke that with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we need to work at this. While some of us have logically taken that word in our minds, and maybe even somewhat physically and spiritually, many of us haven't built upon that emotionally either. It takes all those areas to keep our marriages from letting another man, another woman separate us. And so our commitment should be we're going to work this out by God's grace. Two infallible, sinful people coming together as one. We need Jesus to make this work. But what happens is this. Relationships begin to drift. And we allow our marriages to go on autopilot, almost like an assembly line. We go to work, we turn on the assembly line, and the marriage just works its way down. And we do the same thing every day and hoping at the end that that will be good enough. But we need to inspect our marriages. We need to daily ask these questions. Are there areas where the where the, the, the foundation is being wept or swept away? Do we need to shore up the foundation called marriage? Your marriage might have lost some of its pizzazz. You might even feel like you're more than you're just roommates that are putting up with each other but God wants so much more for our marriages. He wants them to thrive. He wants them to be an example to the world of that metaphor of Christ and the church, the husband and and, and the bride. He wants us literally to prepare ourselves, our wives, to be unblemished, standing before God. That's our goal. But we must work at, last week we saw 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, love is patient, love is kind, it does not dishonor, it's not proud or boastful, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it does not delight in evil, it rejoices in truth, it always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then Paul said, we must put those in place and give up our childish ways of not loving one another. Solomon said this, so how do we do this? Like, how do we build on this foundation? By the way, it's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth it to build on this foundation of marriage. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 9, 9, to enjoy your wife of your youth. I love that passage because it uses the word enjoy, which connotes this. Think about this. This is what it means to enjoy. It doesn't sound like it's a chore, it it my mind it conjures up laughter, it conjures up smiles and electricity and spark and excitement. In fact, the word in the it's translated in another version to relish life with your wife. It has the idea of, of, of to revel your wife. It has the idea even of to, I love this word here, to luxuate your wife, to adore, to appreciate. It's, it's taking this marriage and it's adding condiments to it. It's, it's putting the relish, it's putting the jalapeno peppers to add some spice to it. It's, it's adding to it instead of just having this hamburger hot dog that's bland. Like what are you adding? Nothing, just hamburger and hot dog. It's, it's luxuating it. It's, it's relishing it. It's adding things to it that make it thrive and grow. Solomon also gave us a picture in the Song of Songs by giving us a description of what it could look like. And, 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 and he gave us a description. I, I'm going to read it, and I just want you to listen. In Song of Songs, chapter 7, Solomon gave a description of a lover, and then the woman responded back when she saw him. It's this beautiful poetry. And I ask you this question. Is this what you read to your wife this morning? just listen to this from the message translation. This is Solomon speaking about his lover. He says this shapely and graceful, your sandal feet and queenly your movement. Your limbs are lithe and elegant. The work of a master artist, your body is a chalice, wine filled. Your skin is silken and tawny like a field of wheat touched by the breeze. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is carved ivory, curved and slender. Your eyes are wells of light, deep with mystery, quintessentially feminine. Your profile turns all heads, commanding attention. The feelings I get when I see the high mountain ranges, stirrings of desires, longing for the heights, remind me of you. I am spoiled for anyone else. Your beauty within and without is absolute, dear lover close companion. You are tall and supple like a palm tree and your breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree. I'm going to caress its fruit. Oh yes, your breasts will be clusters of fruit to me. Your breath clean and cool like fresh mint. Your tongue and lips like the best wine. Ladies, how many of you heard that from your husband this morning? And by the way, if you did, you probably wouldn't be here. You'd still be home. (laughs) Just what it is. (laughs) This is the woman's response to her husband. This is great scripture. Yes, and yours are too, my love's kisses, flow from his lips to mine. And I am my lovers and all he wants. I'm all the world to him. Come, dear lover, let's tramp through the countryside. Let's sleep at some wayside inn. Then rise early and listen to a bird song. Let's look for wildflowers in bloom. Blackberry bushes blossoming white. Fruit trees festoon with cascading flowers. And there I'll give myself to you, my love, to your love. Love... Apples drench us with fragrance. Fertility surrounds, suffices us. Fruits fresh and preserved that I've kept and saved just for you, my love. Beautiful, beautiful poetry. Beautiful words of a husband and wife describing how they feel about each other. However, those feelings... Those truths, those realities are in competition. And we allow the competition. They shouldn't be. Our eyes should be on our wives only men. Our eyes and our interests and our desires and our time and our efforts should only be for them and not for others. But what happens is these desires get railroaded by sexual impurities before and even after marriage. And Paul said in First Corinthians 13, we are called to leave our childish ways. And so how does that happen? Variety of ways. And so here's what happens. Those of you who are single and, and those of you who are married, we let those desires get swept away by bringing something else that shouldn't be into our marriages and into our lives prior to marriage. And I would say it this way: real men don't spend their discretionary time and money in strips clubs and waist deep in pornography. And by the way, the woman you are looking for who wants you, wants you to put away your childish ways. Listen to me, guys. If you're in the trenches of pornography and you're dating someone, you are destroying, destroying that relationship. If you are married and you have a no-compete clause when you said I do, you are dishonoring that covenant before God by bringing something that shouldn't be there into your mind. Let me just say this in regards to sexual impurity too. The seedy side of maleness is not isolated to even computers and strip clubs. It's in our movies, in our music. You see, we don't even think about that. We just listen to music. We let it run through our brains and through our minds. We don't stop and pause and ask, is this song speaking to women as commodities to be used instead of being lifted up and treasured by their husbands and being seen as radiant before God. Think about this. How how many of you listen to music that refers to women with the B word? How many of you listen to music that refers to women as prostitutes or whores? How many of you listen to music where women go from one bed to another bed like they're a commodity? Please hear me out. If you think that doesn't harm your brain, you are kidding yourself. Here's what I encourage you to do. Go to your phone. Remove any music that has the B word, that has a prostitute, or talks about a woman having an escapade with another man. Remove it from your your playlist. And elevate women. Let me just say this too. The most powerful source of sexual immorality and influencing our minds and our view of woman is not even porn. It's erotic images that we allow ourselves to see through Netflix and TV and videos. It's posters in the workplace that we put up of women in bathing suits. It's magazines that you look at and say, I'm looking at a motorcycle, but you know deep down that you linger looking at biker babes, and somehow you think, it won't hurt my brain. It's those hot rod magazines that you're looking at 68 Camaros. But in reality, you want to see the, the, the girl on, on the hood of the 68 Camaro. Please, for the cause of Christ and the bride that you're married to, remove them. Remove them. If you want to see a 68 Camaro, go to a car show and look at them. I mean this. You see, if you're a man of God and you're in the workplace and you have a business and you have authority, remove that stuff. Remove it, teenagers, from your phones, from your computers, from your Snapchat stories that you think no one sees because they're gone in 24 hours. God sees it. You are damaging. Listen to me, teens. You are setting yourselves up for a failed marriage by believing that that doesn't impact your mind. Let me just speak honestly as from a father's perspective. Fathers, you are kidding yourself. If you think somehow that the way your daughter wears a bathing suit doesn't become an erotic image to a man that's looking for it. Take the gate of your home. Even if your daughter for a period of time is angry with you, make sure she wears a decent bathing suit while you're under her, over her authority. Help her understand. Grab your wife and invite her into this process. And if it means you have to go spend $500 for a two-piece elegant bathing suit, then spend it. No man should be looking at your daughter in an erotic way. Please, let me speak as a husband. Once you get married, you can do whatever you want. You you can lead your family as long as you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Anne and I have these conversations even when it comes to bathing suit. Here's what I, I don't want other men looking at my wife's body. It's ours to look at. And we're together, like I don't want any man to be able to see from here to here. Like no other man should see my wife's navel. That's for me. It's us, we become one together. And maybe you need to ask the question. Now, I'm not saying for every man, but at least ask this question. Am I allowing that to happen because I see my wife as a trophy instead of a treasure from God? Listen to me, and this is true. If you want to protect, then protect. If you want to help your daughter make godly decisions, you're the authority over her. College age girls, hear me out. If you think that somehow, teenage girls, if you think that you have to expose your body to be liked by a man, you don't want that man. You don't need that man. See, here's what happens when we allow that kind of thinking to infiltrate our homes, even our marriages. Three things happen when you view erotic images. You say this you're saying to your wife today, or that future girl that you're dating right now, you're telling her one body isn't enough. You're telling that girl that you're dating right now, or your wife today, a real body isn't enough. You're, you're, you're saying to your future wife's body, or present wife's body, listen. Your body is enough. I need that image. I need that pornography. I need more. You're not enough. Listen, your wife should be more than enough. That's what God intended from the foundation of the world. See, here's the problem. Most guys think that when they meet the right body, their need for artificial bodies will magically go away. However, in most cases, the opposite desire for artificial bodies escalates. Internet porn takes advantage. Like, there's science to this. Even the neuroplasticity, and creates new pathways in your brain that literally lead to addictions, which can create competition in your brain for your wife. Listen, single guys that are sexually active Right now, you are eroding the foundation of marriage by sleeping with that girl. You are dividing your mind. Right now, you're saying, it's okay to compete with my mind. And so when you meet this girl and you say, I do, and if you take these behaviors of pornography and being sexually active, you are already setting yourselves up for an unstable foundation in marriage. No matter what your wife's body looks like, hear me out today if you're viewing porn. Porn wins every time. What about the no-compete calls? I said for you and for you only. Porn in the end promises to provide. Listen to me. No strings attached substitute until a real woman comes along. But in the end... Porn erodes a man's ability to experience the very thing porn supposedly substitutes, a meaningful, satisfying sexual relationship. Listen, it's time. It's beyond time. Teenagers, teenage boys, hear me out. Please, confess your sin. Clean your mobile devices. Take your hands off of your girlfriend's men and women that are dating, that are sexually active for the cause of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on the cross, put it away. The world is screaming for Christ followers to say, we need something different. It could be you. And if you need help, get help. This is why it's so important. Because men, if you plan to bring your addiction, your viewing of erotic images and activities into what you hope will be a long-term relationship, either a marriage or dating, tell your partner up front, man up and tell them. You say, no, Pastor Jim, I couldn't tell them that. They would leave me. Exactly. Give her a chance to see if she wants to compete with erotic images, give her a chance to say, "I, I, I want, I want, I, I'm okay. That my body's not enough. Give her a chance. Man up. See, so take her out, and tell her that you want her to know that a real female body isn't enough, and that her body will never satisfy you. You tell her that." Tell her, I just want to let you know, if we get married, one female body will never be enough for me. And while I'm sure that sex is enjoyable, will be enjoyable for us, it won't be enough to satisfy me. Just thought you should know. I'm not kidding. You think, why would we do that? Like, wouldn't you expect the same thing? And don't we? Like, don't you ask them questions? How much in debt are you? Don't you ask them if they have health problems? Don't you ask them if they have gambling or alcohol or drug addictions? Don't you like, I need, I demand to know that. We're getting married. We need to lay it out there. Then what right do you think you have without telling them the addictions that you're bringing in? Yeah, take them out. Give them their best meal and look across the table and say these words to them. I want you to know your body will never be enough. I want you to know I want you to know, I need artificial bodies. I want you to know that while we have sex together, it'll probably be good, but you won't be enough. Man up. See, that's truth. And if we spoke that, we would get cleaned up. See, listen to me, listen to me. I'm speaking as a father. I'm speaking as a pastor. I'm speaking as a shepherd. If you need help, ask for it. It's a lie out there what movies are telling you. It's a lie what your classmates are telling you. It's a lie what that coworker is telling you. Listen, Christ wants purity. That's what he wants. It will destroy the foundation. How do I know? Because I know. I've sat with couples, men have been addicted to pornography, thinking I like, get married. I won't get married and masturbate. You know what? Yes, they do. Because You're not enough because the brain paths have been changed in their mind. Please, for the call of Christ, do what I said last week. Step out of that relationship and go in rehab. Ask for help. Jesus loves redeeming us of our pathways of sexual immorality. And prepare yourself Listen to me, those of you who are dating out there. You deserve to walk away from her to respect her the way you should. If you are viewing pornography regularly and dating her, she deserves better. She is a God-created woman. See, you won't hear that in the workplace, but that's what the Bible says. You see, you can't give yourself fully to someone else as long as you are mastered by something else. See, what's going to happen. I know, here's what happens. I know stories personally. I've sat through the pain of sitting with people. They got together on their honeymoon night and because of these addictive behaviors, they couldn't even have sex on their honeymoon night because they gave their bodies to other women on a regular pattern. Listen to me, ladies, girls, teenage girls, hear me out. He might not like me right now, but this is too, too much is at stake. If your boyfriend has his hands all over you, if your boyfriend is pushing you for sex, hear me out. Run. Run. If you think you have to give your body up to keep him, he's not a keeper right now. Let him go into rehab and Jesus redeem his addictions. Then meet him. Then date him. Then go through courtship. Hear me out, men. If you have been gorging yourself on porn the last couple of years, if you are a serial dater for sex and you're having sex now with your girlfriend, please, you need rehab. You are incapable of treating a woman with respect if you continue to have sex. Did you hear me? You are incapable of. But by the grace of God if you repent of your sin and ask him for forgiveness and walk away from dating and get an accountability partner and saturate yourselves with a pattern and a path of righteousness, you will one day be ready. Oh, and that is a beautiful picture. Married dudes, if you're involved in pornography and you're married, listen to me you are disrespecting your bride. You are telling her that she is not enough. You are looking at this bride, in some cases, who has birthed your kids, who has sacrificed her life, who has even taken your name. It's an incredible sacrifice. Gave up her name for your name. Please, go to a reliable Christ's loving brother, accountability partner, and ask for help today. Amen? You see, that's what we're competing with. (laughs) Is it no wonder? Is it no wonder marriages are in such trouble? Because no one wants to talk about that. Now listen to me. I want to speak this. If you weren't here last week, There is now for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, don't let guilt and shame and the voice of the enemy tell you that you're worthless. Listen, Christ can redeem your mess and his grace covers all your sin, but you need to repent of it. Listen, your future is bright. There's stages of love that we walk through. I think these are important too as we build on this foundation because here's what happens. If you don't know these stages... All of a sudden you'll think, oh man, I'm not going to make it. And so I'm going to give you the four stages of love that you'll actually walk through that you'll need to build upon. The first stage is infatuation. It's the stage of euphoric feelings. It's where you daydream about each other. It's where you can see no love or no wrong in your lover. It's where you have a hormone that's released and it triggers positive attitudes, increased energy. It's where you don't even need sleep. It's where you can go like 50 hours. And and and, and your girlfriend says, How you oh, I'm good. <laughs> it's a scary time too because we make decisions that we might later regret. And maybe you settle for a mate before you complete your list. It's when you think, oh, oh, he'll get better. Just give me six months with him. I'll fix him. Remember, you can't fix people, you fix pets. (laughs) The second stage is this, is the post-rapture stage. This is when people begin to think they're falling out of love. The brain and its nerve endings begin to leave the infatuation state and go back to a normal state. This is where the novelty of him running his fingers through your hair and that silly giggle that you used to love just gets under your skin. (laughs) This is where introverts talk less and pragmatists become less spontaneous. This is where angry people start to lose their temper This is where his or her negative traits begin to glare right at you. And you start focusing on what is wrong instead of what is right. And this is where, if you're not careful, you say, oh no, I married the wrong person. I should have listened to my girlfriend. The next stage is the discovery stage. This is a time when you truly care about the needs of your spouse. A time to nurture, respect, and you have full admiration for each other. It's a time when you truly find out what love means. The final stage is the connection stage. It's where the expanding commitment, the deepening friendship, the security and safety flourishes. Where an intimate connection takes place and soars way past the infatuation stage. Hear me out. Most never get there. Because they think they can't make it. And they allow their marriages to be built on the feeling of love instead of the action of love. Even the stats of divorce. 82% of couples make it to their 5th anniversary. 65% of couples make it to their 10th anniversary. 52% of couples make it to their 15th anniversary. And by the way... All the behavioral skills in the world won't pump life back into your ailing marriage if the couple doesn't trust each other. The Bible is loaded with examples of love. Luke 6 32 to 33, it says, Love those who can't pay you back. Love is the foundation of a relationship built on Christ. Jesus gave us the example, Paul gives us a practical way to live it out. Love keeps no records of long. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There are two kinds of changes that you can to, do to improve your relationship. You can either increase pleasure or decrease pain, you can eliminate undesirable ones or increase desirable ones. It's much easier to do something your spouse likes than to stop doing something they hate. So you know what you do? You do things that they like. You pile them on, not wanting to get something back. You find out what their love language is, and you should know that. You should know that of your kids. You pour into them. You become a listener. You listen first and speak later. You are not Interest in your interest, you're after her interest. You serve one another. And when you serve one another, it changes the trajectory of your life and your relationship. And so, you increase good things in your relationship. Let me pull away and say a few thoughts that I broke, brought up in the first message in regards to building a foundation. I said this. That once you get married, you are no longer dating. You gave that up years ago when you got married. And here's what I mean by that. Dating leads to marriage. Now that you are married, you can do things that you couldn't when you were dating. And the responsibilities are much different, as is the commitment. You build on the foundation, not try to establish one. When Ann and I were dating, the Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's that the husband is to pursue. The husband is to go after. And I've said this, but it's worth repeating. Ladies, that means he's coming after you. And you might say, Pastor Jim, but I really think he's a good guy. Then you get in his way. If he's in a Bible study... You're in that Bible study too. If he sets in the second row in the main, you set in the second row in the main. If you see something about this man that you observe, he fits your list and your list is ready, you get in his way and you keep showing up until he recognizes you or says, You're not the one. But get in his way. We're supposed to pursue. We're supposed to find. We're supposed to go after. And so dating leads to marriage. When I dated Anne, I was pursuing. When we got married, guess what? I didn't have to drop her off at her house anymore. Like, hey, you want to come to my room? (laughs) There's a difference between dating and marriage. Let me just pull away and say this. Somewhere along the path... Probably with good intention, but I'm not even sure of that. We have allowed this concept of date night, of date day, that somehow that we have allowed to infiltrate we have to be careful of these things. Because in my mind, when I got married, I don't date my wife anymore. I don't need to, to pursue her. We are one. I need to build upon that foundation. And here's what happens: We somehow think if I spend two to three hours on a Friday night or a Monday night eating a meal, enjoying each other, and calling it date night, our marriage is good. How about Monday morning at five thirty when he break, wakes up with dog breath? He's still the man you married. You see, if we allow the concept that this is the thing that holds us together instead of the 24-7 all week long, we will be highly disappointed. We need to come up with a new word. We need to come up, and I'll guarantee if you come up with it, it'll go viral and you'll be a zillionaire. I'm serious. By the way, hear me out if you post on social media that you're out on a date night, I will not judge you, okay? I mean that. So don't allow, like, oh, Pastor Jim, he's on one of his rants. Well, how, God, I'm on a date night. Better not put it up. I'm glad you're spending time together. But it's different once you get married. I'm not trying to find and pursue. I'm building. I'm loving. I'm committed. We're not leaving each other. It's not like we're dating. Hey, anytime I want to go, I can go and find someone else. Dating is saying, I have permission to get away. Marriage says, no, you don't. (laughs) Enough said. Add some spontaneity to your marriage. Shake it up. Refuse to go through the motions. Many of you found that the answer to that old crank of a husband or your unbearable wife, wasn't fixed by the next marriage either. If you do not fix you first in taking you to the next marriage, you'll have the same problems after the infatuation stage. By the way, personal. Why is it that when couples separate and get divorced, all of a sudden they want to get into shape? Why is it that they get new haircuts? Why is it that they join health clubs and and buy new outfits? Why is it that you see them on social media? Anybody got a Kohl's fifty percent off? <laughs> Why not do that now? Seriously, dudes, man, some of you need to come to an etiquette club <laughs> and a dress club, like. Listen to me. Listen, this isn't judging anyone. Create security for your wife. You might say, get fit, guys. Hear me, please. Some of you are two times the man you were when you got married. (laughs) And your wife, listen, while you laugh at that, you have a wife who wonders, will he be around to take care of me when I'm 60? Do I need to go and find a career because I know he won't be around? Can he even rescue our kids? Get fit now, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Listen, dudes, also, listen. Ask your wife what she really likes about you. Ask her if she likes the outfit you have on. Let her pick some things out. Ask her if she likes that thing you call a beard that you're in love with. Listen, I have nothing against beards. I could grow a long one too. It's nothing. You can put it down on your toes. I don't care. But listen, really ask your wife. When you stand before the marriage morning, Go. Rrr. what is she thinking? Rrr. You see, we think that it looks manly. It looks, I look manly. Listen, guys, if your wife wants you to shave that mustache, listen, if she wants you to stop shaving your head, listen, some of you, you've been wearing the same hairdo for 60 years. (laughs) Ask your wife, do you like this? No, honey, do you really? I know you love me, but do you like this? Why is it that we want to dress up for someone else? Why not get ourselves? By the way, dudes, your dress. Some of you are like, I like camo. You've been wearing it for 10 years. <laughs> it's manly. Listen, you like camo. You know why she likes it? Because she can't see you. <laughs> some of you, like, you, you love your sports teams. Every week, what are you wearing to live? Oh, I got a Colt shirt. You love your sports teams more than you do your wife. Listen to me. Have that conversation. You might be surprised. Some of you have been saying, oh, that's what my wife likes. Well, she did 30 years ago. You see, they're not going to come to you that. You're just glad that you're there. But why not serve her? Say, hey, baby, how can I look good for you? You laugh. But why do we do that for others? Marriage, too. Let me encourage you to do this. Choose to build new memories and celebrate old ones. I really encourage you. Pull out the wedding photos. Like that album that's this big and you can't find. Go down to your basement. Dig it out. It's probably got some must and mold on it. Sit down and say, yeah. Remember that day? Remember when I said I do? Well, I still do. Remember when, like... It was just you, and like my eyes were for you only. Well, they still are. Wow, we've great a lot. we've got 10 grandchildren, and but man, aren't you glad that we made that decision? Go back and celebrate the photo albums, retell the stories, relive the memories, and by the way, create new memories. Create what I would call the we did it factor again. Have you ever accomplished an unbelievable adventure? Like some of you go ride a roller coaster again and throw up afterwards and talk about it for years. (laughs) Well, I can't get on that because when I get on there, but that'll be a story to tell for the years. White water raft again, instead of sitting with the remote, let me ask you a question. Do you think your wife would have chosen you with your Sunday afternoon routine now? Think about it. Where do you want to go? Like, like Ryder Cup. Oh, man, Ryder Cup's on. Holy cow. USA's got a chance. It's like, do you think Anne would have chosen me if she said, hey, Jim, do something to have me? Ryder Cup's on. Hey, Jim, you want to? Hey, NASCAR playoffs is on. Boom. Hey, the Colts play at four. Jim, you want to go out with me? Do you remember like Colts? NASCAR? Ryder Cup? What do you want, baby? I mean, would she choose you again? I tell couples all the time, you will face times when you want to throw in the towel. But remember, what is impossible for man is possible for God. Prioritize each other again. Yes, you will get swamped and overwhelmed. Yes, there will be seasons when it's difficult when you have little children. But hear me, prioritize each other Make time for each other because there will come a day when the kids leave the house and it's you and them. And if you haven't built something on that foundation, you'll ask this question, why are we still together? Plus, you see what we model to our kids, not with words only, But with actions helps them to believe that it's worth it getting married, that it's worth it staying pure, that it's worth it to not have addictions of pornography, that it's worth it to keep Jesus at the center, that it's worth it to get on a roller coaster when you're 54 and you puke. It is worth it. See, I don't want my kids to bail out of their marriages either. I don't want them to have to walk down the street and watch someone else's family to get a picture of a healthy relationship. I long for our kids to say, I want a marriage like mom and dad. You see, here's what happens if we don't do that. I want to read this story, true story. And I want you to listen to it. And I want you to ask the spirit of God to speak to you as you hear this. And I want you to ask him to examine how are you building on that foundation? Listen to this true story. When I got home that night, as my wife served dinner, I held her hand and said, I got something to tell you. She sat down and ate quietly. Again, I observed the hurt in her eyes. Suddenly, I didn't know how to open my mouth, but I had to let her know what I was thinking. I want a divorce. I raised the topic calmly. She didn't seem to be annoyed by my words. Instead, she asked me softly, why? I avoided her question. This made her angry. She threw away the chopsticks and shouted at me, you're not a man. That night, we didn't talk to each other. She was weeping. I knew she wanted to find out what had happened to our marriage, but I could hardly give her a satisfactory answer. She had lost my heart to Jane. I didn't love her anymore. I just pitied her. With a deep sense of guilt, I drafted a divorce agreement which stated that she could own our house, our car, and 30% stake of my company. She glanced at it and then tore it to pieces. The woman who had spent 10 years of her life with me had become a stranger. I felt sorry for her wasted time, resources, and energy, but I could not take back what I'd said, for I loved Jane so dearly. Finally, she cried loudly in front of me, which was what I had expected to see. To me, her cry was actually a kind of release for me. The idea of divorce, which had obsessed me for several weeks, seemed to be firmer and clearer now. The next day, I came back home very late and found her writing something at the table. I didn't have supper, but went straight to sleep and fell asleep very fast because I was tired after a eventful day with Jane. When I woke up, she was still there at the table writing. I just did not care, so I turned over and was asleep again. In the morning, she presented me her divorce conditions. She didn't want anything from me, but needed a month's notice before the divorce. She requested that in that one month, we both struggled to live as normal a life as possible. Her reasons were simple. Our son had his exams in a month's time, and she didn't want to disrupt him with our broken marriage. That was agreeable to me, but she had something more. She asked me to recall how I carried her into our bridal room on our wedding day. She requested that every day for the month's duration, I carry her out of our bedroom to the front door every morning. I thought she was going crazy. Just to make our last days together bearable, I accepted her odd request. I told Jane about my wife's divorce conditions. She laughed loudly and thought it was absurd. No matter what trick she applies, she has to face the divorce, she said scornfully. My wife and I hadn't had any body contact since my divorce intention was explicitly expressed. So when I carried her out on that first day, we both appeared clumsy. Our son clapped behind us. Daddy is holding mommy in his arms his words brought a sense of pain to my heart from the bedroom to the sitting room then to the door I walked over 10 meters with her in my arms she closed her eyes and said softly please don't tell our son about the divorce I nodded feeling somewhat upset I put her down outside the door she went to wait for the bus to work I drove alone to the office On the second day, both of us acted much more easily. She leaned on my chest, and I could smell the fragrance of her blouse. I realized I hadn't looked at this woman carefully for a very long time. I realized that she was not even young anymore. There were fine wrinkles on her face, and her hair was graying. Her marriage had taken its toll on her, and for a minute I wondered what I had done to her. On the fourth day, when I lifted her up, I felt a sense of intimacy returning. This was the woman who had given 10 years of her life to me. On the fifth and sixth day, I realized that her sense of intimacy was growing again. I didn't tell Jane about this. It became easier to carry her as the months slipped by. Perhaps the everyday workout made me stronger. She was choosing what to wear one morning. She tried on quite a few dresses, but could not find a suitable one. Then she side. All my dresses have grown bigger. I suddenly realized that she had grown so thin. That was the reason why I could carry her more easily. Suddenly it hit me. She had buried so much pain and bitterness in her heart. And subconsciously, I reached out and touched her head. Our son came in at that moment and said, dad, is it time to carry mom out? To him, seeing his father carrying his mother out had become an essential part of his life. My wife gestured to our son to come closer and hugged him tightly. I turned my face away because I was afraid I might change my mind at this last minute. I then held her in my arms, walking from the bedroom through the sitting room to the hallway. Her hand surrounded my neck softly and naturally. I held her body tightly. It was just like our wedding day but her much lighter weight made me sad. On the last day, when I held her in my arms, I could hardly move a step. Our son had gone to school. And I held her tightly and said, I hadn't noticed that our life lacked intimacy. I drove to the office, jumped out of the car swiftly without locking the door. I was afraid any delay would make me change my mind. I walked upstairs. Jane opened the door and I said to her, Sorry, Jane. I do not want the divorce anymore. She looked at me, astonished, and then asked and and touched my forehead. Do you have a fever? I moved her hand from my head. Sorry, Jane. I said, I won't divorce. My marriage life was boring, probably because she and I didn't value the details of our lives. Not because we didn't love each other anymore. Now I realize that since I carried her in my home on our wedding day, I'm supposed to hold her until death do us part. James seemed suddenly to wake up. She gave me a loud slap and slammed the door and burst into tears. I walked downstairs and drove away. At the floral shop on the way, I ordered a bouquet of flowers for my wife. The sales girl asked me what to write on the cart. I smiled and wrote. I'll carry you out every morning until death do us part. That evening I arrived home, flowers in hand, smile on my face. I ran upstairs only to find my wife in bed dead. My wife had been fighting cancer for months and I was so busy with Jane to even notice. She knew that she would die soon and she wanted to save me from the whatever negative reaction from our son. In case we push through with the divorce, at least in the eyes of our son, I'm a loving husband. Oh God, I pray that we don't write this story. I pray God that would help us to surrender our stubborn pride or our addictions. And I pray, God, that we would build on this foundation and that we would put you back at the center and that our marriages would thrive and that we would luxuate our wives. In Jesus' name, Amen.